You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the SB Nation NFL Show's Digital Row Draft coverage. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and I am so excited to kick things off with you today. Before we get rolling with two of my favorite guests, I want to remind you that DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at DraftKings. We have a ton of draft coverage coming for you at the SB Nation NFL show, so make sure you smash that follow button so all of that goodness goes right to your smart speaker or cell phone device. On today's show, we are going to talk with two guests, draft expert Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who's going to help us break down this year's class of rookies and some of the biggest draft storylines, and CBS sports analyst and former Raiders CEO Amy Trask, who's going to take us inside the business aspect of the draft. What kinds of things are the executives doing during the big day? And what do teams do off the field for players after they're drafted to help them succeed? As always, there is a ton to get to, so let's not waste any more of your time and jump right into things with Dane Brugler. Joining us now, a man that has made many an NFL fan smarter with what I think is one of the best draft guides out there anywhere. The guide is called The Beast. From Dane Brugler from The Athletic. Dane, thank you so much for the time. No, of course. Thanks for uh, having me on. So just so you know, your guide is like my number one resource for how to learn about these players after the season. Because I got to be honest, during the year, I don't have time to watch college football. So then once the season ends, I'm in like cram session mode. And thanks to you, I can learn about this draft class and learn about these players. Can you just start with just taking us through how you compile this massive database on like every player in the draft class uh it's a year-round process it's something that i literally start um now uh, on next year um the summer is when i create the foundation you know create the database uh just you know talking with scouts uh doing my own homework on these players uh watching the tape and and you know treating it like any other scout would in the nfl um, and then throughout the season, it's when you, uh, you know, tweak your rankings and you're, uh, you know, taking notes on the tape and uh, creating these scouting reports. And then really by January, all the haze in the barn at that point, it's just about cross-checking uh, through the all-star games, the combine, the pro days, workouts, things like that. And then, uh, you know, the month of March is putting everything together in one cohesive uh, book, one, one guide. And so um, I take a lot of pride in the level of detail that is in in the draft guide it's something that at my heart i'm a i'm a draft fan i'm someone that cares a lot about evaluation and scouting and so i create something that i would want to read and uh i I, that's what i try to do with this draft guide and uh i think anybody that's interested in the nfl draft at all at any level even just a little bit or or a ton 
you will not be disappointed with uh, what's to offer in this guy. No, no other resource has uh, testing data for 1,700 players like this thing does. Uh, the background info, all that stuff. So uh, hopefully people check it out. There's so many little nuggets in there too. Not just like, oh, he ran this 40-yard dash or things like that. Things like, hey, this person was hurt and had to relearn how to walk at one point. Like that's absurd that you go into that level of detail about every single player in this thing. It's it's important. You know, I, I think in order to tell where these guys are headed, we have to understand where where they're from. You know, where when do they start playing football? Uh, you know, four years old, peewee. Or maybe they were, uh, you know, in this case of Zion Johnson, uh, you know, the first round guard, uh, he was a golf a golfer uh, for most of his life. And then junior year, senior year of high school, he, he tried this football thing out and yeah, it's worked out OK for him. So uh, <laughs> all that context is important and it, and it matters. So, uh, you know, getting just a, a, a deep dive into their background, family life. Uh, you know, different sports they played uh, throughout their, their youth and high school. All that stuff to me is relevant and understand best understanding who these guys are. Now, there are some players that I think are just so good that no matter where they go, they are going to succeed. But how much do you think destination, which you just mentioned, where these guys end up influences what their career ultimately becomes? Oh, I mean, it, it, it's hard to put in the words how much that matters. I mean, it, it's it's it, it's a big deal. Um, it, it, you know, like, OK, let's just for a hypothetical that you know, we'll never know. But what if uh, in the what, 2017 draft, uh, the Bears draft Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs draft Mitchell Trubisky? How to, how do the trajectory of those two quarterbacks, how how different are they compared to what we think of them now? Um, you know, just where you land, it, the coaching that you receive, the supporting cast, the culture that you're drafted into. Uh, you know, the NFL is not a developmental league, but every each one of these players needs developed at some level. And so where you go and the coaches that understand what type of development you need that help you get that get to that point. That's a, that's a big deal. No question. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it's it can be easier to tell, uh, you know, who's going to have the best success after the fact, you know, the the day after the draft when we know, okay, this team uh, you know, is known for drafting, uh, you know, wide receivers and they drafted, okay, I feel better about this guy's projection. Mm-hmm. than maybe I do a guy that I graded higher pre-draft, but because he ended up in this spot and I know what kind of coaching he's going to get, uh, you know, I feel better about, about his long-term prognosis. So it, it's, um, it, it definitely matters in a big way uh, in terms of the development and uh, they're just continuing that upward trajectory as players. In terms of evaluating the players, do you think that there is a huge gap between whatever team you think is the best at evaluating players and the worst at evaluating players? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that there's definitely, I mean, track record, uh, batting average, uh, it speaks for itself with a lot of these teams. And, um, you know, a lot of people point to studies that say, you know, we're all, they're all just throwing darts. You know, nobody knows. They're just, but there are some teams that, attack the draft in a, in a smarter way than others in terms of uh, when they go after certain positions, uh, you know, their, their entire process of scouting of how they build their board, what matters, what doesn't, what translates to the next level, uh, not being overconfident in their uh, scouting abilities, but at the same time, still believing and trusting their process. So it's a fine line, it, but a lot of teams I, I think don't have a great understanding, a great grasp of of what that means, and you know. But we've seen the teams like 
uh, you know, like the Ravens. Uh, you know, why is it, why does it seem like a coincidence that good players fall to the Ravens? You know, like it just it, it's not a coincidence. It's it's part of their process and how they how they do things. So um, you know, a lot of teams fall into that category. But you know, Bill Belichick's the arguably the smartest football mind uh, that we have, and he's had plenty of misses. Uh, you know, he is the de facto GM of that team, and he's had plenty of misses. Uh, over the years in the draft, early rounds included. So, you know, it's it's something that um, is is a is a, a really a, something we, we have a conversation for hours about um, going kind of going team by team and all that. But I think it's like I said before, walking that fine line of not being too overconfident in, you know, your scouting abilities, but still having belief and trusting your process. It, it, that That's something that is a fine line to walk and something that, that the smartest teams, they do it really well. That's something that uh, Shio Kapadia mentions in his draft commandments, I believe, also uh, part of the athletics draft coverage, which that alone is worth the price of the subscription. Uh, in terms of this year's draft class specifically, what we've heard is the top end talent may not be as strong as we've seen in other years, but the depth of the class is really good. How much do you think COVID affected that? Uh, a little bit, um, but uh, for the most part, not as much. I think where COVID really affected this class is just more the the volume of players later in the draft. Um, but we did see, you know, a, a couple of these guys, uh, you know, Kenny Pickett, obviously, coming back with that extra COVID year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that's, uh, you know, what it, what a difference a year makes for him. Uh, you know, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. So there, there's a few, uh, but for the most part, I think it's just, just a little bit of a down year in terms of a very thin upper class, but the middle class this year is, is stacked. I mean, there's a lot of players in that middle class that you feel strongly about. And a lot of teams are going to view these guys differently. So uh, we're, I mean, I think we'll be ready for some surprises, uh, especially, uh, you know, the, the back half of round one into day two, just because draft boards are going to be different from team to team. And that's the truth that every year, but especially this year where we don't have as many blue chippers, those quote unquote elite guys, but that, that next tier, uh, the middle class of players, it's a, it's a really loaded group. So we're, we're going to see those guys uh, come off the board uh, maybe a little bit differently than we've been talking about uh, just because uh, you know, the, the boards are so different from team to team. At the end of the beast, you have a top 100 draft board and I look and I check that out and I see that there are no offensive skill players until you get to number 10, Garrett Wilson. Peter King also wrote that he thinks that it's possible we don't see any skill guys taken in the top 10. Do you think that happens when the draft begins that nobody that regularly touches the balls in the top 10? Uh, I do think that at 10, there's a, a very good chance with the Jets, but the, the top nine, uh, I, there's there's going to be teams that are tempted. I, I think I've heard as like the Texans have done plenty of work on Garrett Wilson. Um, you know, I, I that, that'd be kind of a little bit of an upset because uh, nobody's really talking about that. So I, I think it's possible, uh, you know, the Falcons need weapons at eight. Um, you know, a couple of these teams could use more weapons. So you don't rule it out. But it's certainly in the realm of possibility that we don't see a skill position player off the board in the top nine and maybe even the top 10. Uh, if the Jets go, say, Ikiakuanu at four and then come back and they want the pass rusher at 10, uh, it is very possible that we don't see a skill position player in the top 10. Uh, and it's it's a very uh, top-heavy wide receiver class. We're going to see a lot of receivers go in the first round this year. Uh, but it's possible that run doesn't start until, uh, you know, pick 11. Uh, possibly pick 10 with the Jets with the, you know, we know they want to get better, uh, more weapons for their, for their sophomore quarterback, Zach Wilson. So 
uh, it's it's just yeah, it's a little bit of a down year. Last year we saw you know Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle. This year, um, I think teams are going to be focused on offensive line, pass rushers, uh, uh, corners with with Sauce uh, Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley. So they're going to look at more at those premium positions and less at the offensive skill players. You're a good person to ask this because you obviously have been doing work on these classes for years. My theory now is that wide receiver has become such a strong position. I feel like every year we're saying this draft class is full of wide receivers. Do you think it's going to get to the point where teams start to look at that position like running backs? Like, hey, we don't need to jump up early and grab one because there's just so many good ones. I, I don't think we're going to quite get to that level um, just because, you know, teams play with three receivers on the field basically at all times. So just the sheer volume of these guys, I think is, there's always going to be, you know, you're going to be looking to upgrade um, at some point in the draft. But I do, I mean, I do think that your, your point is valid where it's, uh, you know, wide receiver, especially with the contracts being handed out, is now the second most expensive position in the NFL behind only quarterback. And so because of that, we're, a lot of teams are going to say, let's get cheaper. Let's get uh, younger at the position. Uh, and so they're going to uh, you know, look at receiver in the first round. And that's why we, we're going to see five, six, maybe seven, maybe wide receivers go in the first round. It's possible. These guys are going to fly off the board uh, because the teams want to get uh, younger and cheaper at the position. And, and it's a position that puts points on the board. That's how the college game is. That's how the NFL game is. And if you're able to find it, honestly – the, the track record of first round receivers is not necessarily stellar. It's mm-hmm. not, uh, it's not super high, but the, you know, the chance of finding your next Justin Jefferson or, you know, one of these first round receivers, that's still going to drive teams to, uh, to, to trust their evaluations and look for these wide receivers early. So I cover the 49ers for Niners nation. So I am pretty familiar with Mr. Trent Balky, the current GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has the first pick in the draft. Everybody early on kind of assumed it would be Aiden Hutchinson. Now all of a sudden we're hearing, whoa, hold on. That may not be the case. Javon Walker could be the pick. What do you think Balk is going to do at number one? You know, uh, where we are right now, week out from the draft, I'll still say Aiden Hutchinson's the favorite. Um, but Travon Walker would not surprise me at all. Uh, I've been a big Travon Walker fan uh, going back to the fall. Uh, love his, loved his tape. Uh, you know, he was a, my number six player overall on my board uh, before the combine. Uh, you know, before things kind of blew up. Because I, I, I think you see those traits. You know, I, to me, we didn't need to see the combine to see those traits. We saw the length. We saw the quickness. We saw the explosion. Uh, you, you can watch the tape and see all of that. So Trevon Walker is one of the best players in this draft. Uh, the line that I've been using with him is, if in three years you get out of your time machine and tell me that, uh, you know, that uh, Trevon Walker is the best defensive player from this draft, I would not be surprised at all. Uh, he has that type of ability. And so if you're going to bet on those high traits, I get it. With Aiden Hutchinson, he doesn't have that type of ceiling. Now he has a much higher floor. Uh, you know, he has uh, the production. He has, He's a good athlete. Uh, you know, he had the same three cone as Von Miller, basically. So, you know, this is not a, uh, an athletic a deficient player at all. Um, but uh, there, he doesn't have the same type of length. He doesn't have the same type of uh, necessarily the arc speed that you're looking for but he's still a really good player. And so that's why I think Hutchinson is the favorite. But yeah, again, Trevon Walker at number one, uh, shouldn't surprise anybody. We've seen bulky go traits before. He took Alden Smith yeah. in 2011 when there were some pretty damn impressive pass rushers on the board, including J.J. Watt. 
Yeah, and I think the only thing with that, though, is, you know, Alden Smith is also really super productive at Missouri. Um, so it, it was, you know, he uh, Alden Smith is a really toolsy player, no doubt. But he was also really, really productive at Missouri. So it was kind of a little bit of both worlds with him. Um, and But, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's – and not just bulky, but a lot of teams are looking at the traits of Trevon Walker because that's – people need to remember – Teams do not draft for what you've done. They draft for what you're going to be. They draft traits, not production. That That is paramount uh, to to understanding how teams draft. And that's why Trevon Walker absolutely has a chance to be uh, the number one pick. And if he doesn't go one, he's going two or three. So this is a guy that has all the ability in the world. It's just the way he was used in that scheme. Um, you know, once he has a chance to be unlocked and, and uh, you know set loose, uh, Trevon Walker has a chance to be a really, really good player. Well, let's stick with the positive then. Is there somebody that you have, from what you have heard, from what teams are thinking about, that maybe is a little underrated so far that could go in the first round? Um, you know, I think that um, Logan Hall from Houston's one of my personal favorite guys this year, and I think that more he's get, gaining more and more steam as we get closer to the draft. Six six two eighty has that inside outside versatility on the defensive line. Played more of a three technique role in, in college at Houston. But I, I like him best on the edge, personally. I give him a little bit of a runway, let him use the uh, that acceleration that he has, the quickness, the the, the length, the hands. Um, I, I think that you know, regardless, playing him uh, on the inside or outside, he's going to give you disruption. He's a young player, still growing into uh, his frame and what he's going to be. Uh, just 21 years old as a senior, so uh, Logan Hall, I'm a big fan of. I, I would not be surprised if he ends up going first round to one of those teams in the final, uh, you know, five to seven picks. Uh, the Bengals at 31 would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, s- several teams I think will be in on Logan Hall as a strong possibility. On the flip side, is there someone you hear about as a first-round pick that for whatever reason you're just not really seeing it? Um, like, like Christian Watson from North Dakota State, I think there's a uh, – I would not be surprised at all if he goes first round. He's 6'4", with a 4'3", runs a 4'3". Um I just, I personally do not see a first round player. Um, His routes are really rough. Uh, You know, he's still, still developing, still a work in progress. Um, He does not play as big as he looks uh, down the field. Um, When you watch a wide receiver at the FCS, you expect him to dominate uh, on the outside and he just, he doesn't do it. And uh, now with that said, like I said, I understand why teams are, uh, you know, a little bullish on him and excited about what he could be because Guys at that size, uh, you know, he's a gazelle out there with the way he moves. Uh, he had under seven seconds in the three cone. Uh, the, the speed, the straight line speed's outstanding, but way too many drops. Again, the routes are, uh, it's going to take time for him to develop his route tree. Um, I, I, I'm a fan of Christian Watson, but at the right value, I, I, I would gladly draft him in the late second, early third round. But in the first round, I just think there are better players available. It doesn't seem possible, right? How could he have all these traits and all this incredible athletic ability and yet also not be able to dominate at a level where you would think someone with all this skill should be able to dominate? And part of it is the offense. You know, they were obviously North Dakota State's a run first offense. That's a, that's their identity. Um, that's not going to change. But even with Trey Lance, um, you know, you expect a guy to, to just have a little bit more, uh, just expect a little bit more on tape. Um, and a guy that does not play up to his size consistently. Um, and it's just, I don't know, uh, the tape's a little bit underwhelming. But again, they drive, teams drive traits, uh, not necessarily production. And so the traits, uh, if you're going to buy into the raw traits with him, I, I can understand why you talk yourself into him that high. 
it's just he's not for me uh, with that type of price tag. Is there someone you think that's going to go day two, day three that's really going to pop? Um, you know, I think that uh, we could look at a couple of different positions here. I'm just kind of running through my board uh, real quick. You know, I think like Sky Moore, I'm a big fan of. Uh, I think he's kind of blown up, though, uh, where he, he seems to be a, a favorite of a lot of people. Uh, unsurprisingly, he's just he's an easy player to like. Um, I like Christian Harris a lot from uh, Alabama as a stack linebacker. Um, uh, Cam Jurgens, uh, I'm a fan of uh, from Nebraska, the center. Uh, I think he's just kind of just scratching the surface of how good he's going to be. Uh, 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 really, it's a safety class. I, I think if you need a safety in this draft, uh, first two rounds, you're going to find a guy that, that that really fits what you need. Dax Hall in the first round, and Kyle Hamilton, obviously, but Dax Hall or Dax Hill, he's going to go somewhere in that back half of round one and be, uh, I think, uh, a long time uh, productive pro. And then in the second round with Lewis Seen and Jaquan Brisker, um, uh, uh, Jalen Petrie from Baylor, I, I really like the safety class this year in terms of finding a quality player uh, somewhere in the first two rounds that's going to be a starter, a long term starter for your defense. This is why you need to subscribe to The Athletic. You need to get the draft guide, The Beast from Dane Brugler. There are more information than you could almost possibly absorb about this draft class. Dane, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thank you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Joining us now on the SB Nation NFL show from CBS Sports, former CEO of the Raiders, Amy Trask. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. It's my pleasure. So in talking with you a little bit before this, you said that you didn't have any role in personnel and choosing personnel with the Raiders, but you were dealing with the business aspects of what needs to be done for the draft. Can you enlighten me as to what that means? I sure can. And I will, you know, you're so gracious to allow me to do this by audio only that you can't see that I'm smiling ear to ear as you talk about the, you know, you mentioned that I had no role in player selection. That is, of course, correct. Al oversaw all of our football, um, oversaw player selection, worked with our scouts and others. But no, I was not in the draft room on draft day, never was in the almost 30 years I spent in the league. We had a lot of matters going on from a business standpoint. The draft is is an exciting day, as you know. So we would be entertaining sponsors, prospective sponsors. Uh, The Raiders are a limited partnership. So often our limited partners were on site and I was interacting with them and I was responsible for taking care of our limited partners. 
business associates, as I said, sponsors, prospective sponsors, and we had the media presence. So those are some of the matters I was working on on draft day. Um, okay, so the draft happens. All the picks are made. I imagine at some point you would talk to Al afterwards. What were those meetings like? Did he end all the drafts like, hey, we got everybody we wanted? Or did he kind of know right away, like, hey, that didn't really go the way we wanted? Well, again, I'm smiling as I I recall a a draft day memory. I, of course, spoke to him at the conclusion of each day of the draft. But there were also moments in which I spoke to him during the draft. So I was elsewhere in the building, as I mentioned. Our draft room was upstairs. I was often downstairs with our guests uh, in our eating areas, our entertaining areas, our auditorium, or I was in my office And I remember one year in particular, I mean, look, he called me throughout the draft to to find out what was going on, to ask me things, to tell me things. And in one instance, I was downstairs and someone came and found me and said, call the draft room. Al wants to talk to you. Or maybe she handed me the phone. I don't remember which it was, but someone who was in the draft room let me know, you got to talk to Al right now. He wants to talk to you. And We were leading up to the draft. Um, It was rumored that we were going to be drafting a certain player and we were getting a lot of, uh, I'll just call it grief for that. And I don't mean grief in the true sense of that word or the sad sense of that word, but we were, here's a better way to say it. We were taking a lot of flack for this perspective pick. Well, draft day happens. We, with our first round pick, select the player. We were rumored to be selecting, get that call immediately talked to Al. And this is what he says. We're going to pick them. You're going to have to handle it. Click. And (laughs) what he was letting me know was we're going to pick the person we were rumored to be picking. He knew of the flack we were taking. He knew we would continue to take flack. And that was just, you know, typical draft day and typical of so many other instances throughout my career. We're going to take them. You're going to have to handle it. Click. And we did take them and that was that. And, you know, when I've shared this story in the past, people ask me, well, was it this player or was it this player? And I don't say the player's name because he was a good, good, good player, a terrific human. And I don't want him to get any more flack. All right. Then you stole my next question. That's fine. (laughs) So I've heard stories of teams doing things to help draft picks succeed. Uh, For example, the Cowboys, when they took Des Bryant, hired somebody to basically babysit him to try and keep him from getting in trouble off the field. If that was the case with the Raiders, was that something that you would set up? It was the case for us. We did that in a number of instances. Sometimes it's, you know, what you just described, having someone keep an eye on someone or assist someone or interact with someone in other situations. It can be dietary in nature. If you know that a player has a particular condition and you want to make sure you're setting that person up with the right aids in town. Um, There were instances in which I was involved Um, And many instances in which I wasn't, in which it would be handled by our player personnel department or our scouting department. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Was there any particular one that you remember that maybe stands out? Um, Not. I mean, there's a bunch of different instances. You know, there was one very sad instance. And again, I won't mention the player's name, but we drafted a player from a school across the country from California. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes you're drafting young men who have never traveled, you know, beyond a very small distance from their home 
Um, maybe they go to school in the area in which they grew up, or maybe they do go a bit of a distance for school. But these are people, um, first of all, when you draft players, they're young. These are young men. There were a number of instances in which we drafted players who weren't even 21, and they may have turned 21, you know, relatively soon after we drafted them. But, you know, my point is these are very young men. And we drafted a player very highly touted from across the country. He hadn't been far from home for college um, and and really had never lived beyond a a small radius. And he really didn't want to come 3,000 or 3,200 miles. And he was both terrified by that and saddened by that. And he shared that with me and we tried to do all we could to make him feel at ease. But, you know, sometimes you're dry, you're drafting young men who, you know, they haven't been on California freeways or in a city or a community that's large, whether it's like Los Angeles or like the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and I think a lot of times people forget that. You know, these players are young men, some of whom may be very scared to move a great distance from home, a great distance from family or to a large metropolitan area if they've never lived in one. Now, some are thrilled, some are delighted, but not all are. So, you know, you try to help however you can. Can I sell you on a crazy idea? I want to try because you can a try to sell me on a crazy idea. But I love crazy ideas because even if they're crazy, Discussing a crazy idea may yield other crazy ideas. Okay. So I used to produce for Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, who is a big fan of yours, as you know. And he sold me on this idea first. He said we should get rid of the draft and instead keep the rookie wage pool the way it is. So every team has X amount of dollars to spend on draft picks and then let those teams Spend that money however they want. If they want to try and give it all to one player, that's fine. Divide it up among two players, however they want to do it. But then you let the incoming players choose which teams they want to go to. So you don't have, like you were saying, a player that doesn't want to move 3,000 miles across the country. And it could still be a big media event for the league because it would kind of be like National Signing Day, right? They could reveal who they were going to and it would allow them to choose their destination And I think it would be just as exciting, if not more exciting than the NFL draft. It is a very, very intriguing idea for many reasons, all of which you just stated. And by prefacing the question the way you did with the reference to the um, cap on money, if you will. So you mentioned a rookie wage scale, but you could also have in place a hard cap. You could have in place a rookie cap. You could, in other words, you could control the dollars in a manner that allowed all 32 teams to complete compete equally from a financial standpoint on an overall basis. In other words, they might want to use all their available money on Fewer players, some might Mm -hmm. save the money and use it on more players. But the fact that you'd have a finite amount of money would equalize the financial variable of the equation. And then you're going to have teams who are going to say, all right, we need good recruiters. It's a really intriguing idea for a lot of reasons. And it's something the NFL Players Association should be pushed for, pushing for. Again, going back to the story I shared with you, you know, People getting drafted and moving 3,000 miles, maybe they have a family who needs them closer. Maybe they've got issues that are such that they don't want to leave family. And, you know, let me note quickly that I understand these are 
first world problem, so to speak. There's a lot of people when I share these views that say, Amy, these guys are getting drafted. They're eventually going to earn, you know, millions of dollars, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands each year, millions each year. People move for a lot less money. And I understand that. And I agree with that. And I respect that. But if you could find a way to, um, address the fact that some people may not want to go to a certain location. That's that's intriguing. I think it would be fascinating because it would allow recruiting to become a bigger part of the NFL. You could be in the room, Amy. They were, I'm sure the Raiders would have loved to have you in the room selling players on why they needed to come to play with the Raiders. I think it would set up storylines in that way. It would set up immediate rivalries because players would come down to two different teams. And I think the storylines would be even more than we have now. It's really, really intriguing. And thank you for that little shout out because I would be involved in the recruiting. I'd be a Mm -hmm. fierce little recruiter. And look, you know, it makes the magnificence of a stadium the modernity of a stadium yes. and of a team facility so much more important because you're going to show the player, look at the stadium in which you'll be playing or look at our team facility, look at the workout room, look at the locker room. You're going to, you're going to really prioritize having those um, sites just as, as wonderful as you can have them to recruit. And look, you know, you're the Bengals. You're going to be saying, come to Cincinnati. We've got Grater's ice cream, or you're going to be in in California, California. I was going to go all in on, if you're the Rams or the chargers, you're saying, come to the beach, you know, beach ice cream. My point being every team is going to recruit differently. It would be fascinating. And people say, Oh, well, every, all the good players would go to one team. They wouldn't because they want to play. That's why I think it would work itself out. You, you might have one guy who's willing to say, hey, I'll go here and maybe have to wait a little while. But I think for the most part, it would the talent would divide itself evenly. And then you'd have situations where I mean, imagine if every team in the league could have got a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence or Nick Bosa or somebody like that. I, I just think the drama would be incredible. And think of an L.A. team recruiting a player who's playing in, you know, Wisconsin or Michigan, where it's just freezing in the winter. (laughs) And, you know, I'd be the one texting him or emailing or calling with weather reports of what it is like (laughs) in Los Angeles every day. Oh, I'm sorry. In Michigan, when it was minus whatever, or Wisconsin, when it was minus whatever, it was 75 here. You'd recruit with weather. And you'd also recruit, as you just noted, do you want to play? Cause we don't have a lot of linebackers. So we're recruiting you cause you're going to play immediately. You know, whatever the situation is, it's a really intriguing idea. If you could make one change to this whole draft process, do you have something in mind that you would like to see done differently? Ooh, no, I don't have one particular. I'm very intrigued with the idea you've just suggested that Florio has suggested, but I don't have one particular change. Maybe I do. I'd have to think about it. See, you need to convince Roger to change it. That's the thing. I don't think you'll ever be able to convince the NFL to change it because I think that they would prefer that the players don't have the freedom to choose where they work. I think they like the idea of, hey, your team had a really crappy year. Well, guess what? You're now rewarded with the first pick in the draft or whatever. Well, it is certainly a paradigm shift. Uh, But I do like what you posed at the beginning, um, which is addressing financial inequality in the league or disparity, discrepancy. You know, the the gap between the number one and the number 32 team in terms of annual revenue is an enormous gap. During my years in the league, and I've been out of the league for, gosh, I think it's been 
I think it might be my 10 year anniversary since I resigned. But in that roughly decade, and I don't know if I did that math right, nine years, 10 years, something like that. um, The gap between the highest revenue club and the lowest revenue club was over a quarter billion dollars a year in revenue. That's a significant gap. But if you can address with rules as to how to spend caps, limited amount, scales, all of that, if you can come to agreement on that with the Players Association, you can address those financial gaps in the league. But it's not just the league office you have to convince. It's the team owners. Roger and the other league employees are employees of the 32 clubs. So you got to get the clubs interested. Is that something that would have to be part of the CBA? Or could the owners just vote on that on a meeting? Oh, I think it would have to be negotiated with the players. And let me put it this way. It's been a long time since I took labor law in law school. Um, I think it would have to be negotiated. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, it, oh, you know what? It, it would. It's part of the, the draft. But irrespective of whether it would, and I do believe it does have to be negotiated, it should be negotiated. It should be a partnership. I'm sure. The, I mean, I don't see why the players union would oppose it. But again, it's a pipe dream. But once Mike sold me on it, it's been my my rallying cry this time of year, because I think it would be just a great change for the league. But I doubt we'll see that anytime soon. Amy, thank you so much for the time. We always appreciate you stopping by. You make us smarter fans and we are very, very grateful. You are very kind. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to join you. I'm a big fan of yours, a big fan of your work. And it really is, um, well, I got kind of giddy when you invited me to join you. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Look forward to it. Thanks again to Dane and Amy for the time. That's going to do it for this edition of the SB Nation NFL show. But don't worry, there is plenty more coming. Make sure you subscribe now. You are not going to want to miss next week. We are going to mock the mock drafts on Monday with RJ Ochoa and Pete Sweeney. On Tuesday, we answer the biggest draft questions for each division in the league with eight different guests from around our SB Nation NFL communities. On Wednesday, we take you inside an actual NFL draft room by talking with five-time executive of the year Scott Pioli plus we're going to talk to a few players that are going to get picked this week as well and then on draft night we will be live on the SB Nation YouTube Twitter and Facebook pages for the first 10 picks everybody into the pool we are going to have different hosts from around our SB Nation NFL communities and then after the first 10 picks we are going to switch it up Go to a Twitter space after that, again with representatives from the team. So if you have questions about who your team has picked or who they didn't pick or what they might be thinking, you're going to be able to ask people in the know that cover the team every single day. It is full 360-degree coverage of the draft. And the best part is you're going to get it from somebody that isn't a broadcast partner of the NFL, so we don't have to pull any of our punches like the NFL Network or ESPN or anywhere else you might be thinking of going. So thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. We'll talk to you next week. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 